I've been looking up here at the board, so I'm going to start with it. We're going to we're going to look in Second Corinthians chapter. I mean, First Corinthians chapter two, but in Corinthians chapter two, we're going to see the order of salvation. I'm going to move this out of the way a little bit because I don't want to get carried away and stumble over it and hurt myself. So. This is, uh, in theology, there are two recognized orders of salvation. And uh, they, they can differ just a little bit from this, but here, here I put, if you can read my writing, here I put, this is the biblical order. This is what, this is what God does. Um, and then man reinterprets Scripture and makes this the order of salvation. And these can change just a little bit depending on who you're talking to. But, but let me just go over them. We're going to find this in chapter 2. We're also, we're also going to find the Trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in chapter 2 as well. The Bible teaches us very clearly that salvation starts with election. You, you were elected, if you're saved today, you're elected by God before the foundation of the world. And that election brings you to a place in your life of regeneration. The very first thing that happens in you is the work of Christ, is, is the work of the Holy Spirit, is regeneration. You are, you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Think about Lazarus. Lazarus was dead in the tomb, and Ephesians says that the natural man, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And when you're dead, you don't hear the voice of God. You don't care about God. You don't, you don't know about God. You don't reason. You don't think. You, you can't when you're dead. And we were dead in our trespasses and sin, each of us, because we were born of the seed of Adam. And by one man, uh, sin passed upon the world and all, for all of sin. So we, we were born sinners, and we were dead in our sins and trespasses even before we did anything. Even before we got out of our crib, we were sinners. Sometimes that's hard for people to accept. But, but the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates us and allows us to have the gift of faith. Ephesians chapter 2. We have the gift of faith. And when we have the gift of faith, it brings a, a knowledge of God and our sin and repentance. And the Holy Spirit's work is to is to convict the world of, of judgment, sin, and righteousness, sin, and judgment. I don't remember how the order goes. But our faith leads us to repentance, and all of this happens at one time. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We have faith. We're justified by the blood of Christ, and we are sanctified. Sanctified doesn't mean that I never sin again. It means I'm set apart for God. Now, there are two ways this is used in the Scripture. I am sanctified immediately because I'm in Christ. I died with Christ. Romans uh, teaches us I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I'm raised a new life with Christ. So all of that happens in an instant. It happens at the same time. And, and then glorification is one day when we will be given a new body and a body without sin and we will be uh, forever in this eternal body not subject to the curse of sin. There'll be no sin any longer. Mankind doesn't like that. Mankind doesn't like that idea that salvation's of the Lord, and so 
we read the scriptures and change it a little bit, that we think this is the order. And the reason we think this is the order is because in the natural man, when we don't know the scripture, what the scripture actually teaches, we think that one day we come to faith, that we have the ability to choose one way or the other, and that there's good and evil in the world, and that we can come to faith by deciding that we will follow Christ. Now, there was a day when I trusted Christ, and as far as I knew, I decided to trust Christ. Uh, that's, but I had heard the gospel. I'd come under conviction of gospel. Now, who was doing that? Who, who brought the gospel to me? Who brought conviction in my heart? And that is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't know that at the time because I didn't know the Bible. Um, so man thinks it's faith, repentance, regeneration, election, then you become you're a child of God. Justification, but justification is a process. And if you stay with the process, one day there'll be glorification. If you fall off the wagon you lose your salvation, and you will not be eternally saved. So, again, there are variations of this, but this is biblical. This is what the Bible teaches. We're going to see that chapter 2. I want to say at the beginning, in case I don't have enough time at the end, even though this happens, we have a part in that. And our, our, part, is, our, our, our part is faith. When, when, we are, when the Holy Spirit brings a conviction, and, and he brings a conviction because the Lord has elected us before the foundation of the world, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction. John chapter 6 said that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we respond in faith. And again, we're not going to talk today about whether we have a choice to respond or not, but we respond in faith. We're, we're assuming today that you did and I have, so we respond in faith, and we're justified by the blood of Christ, and we're sanctified, we're set apart for God eternally, and we'll never lose our salvation. But our process is not always easy. I want to read to you what John Bunyan said, and I, I think it's just interesting. Uh, I wanted to cover that bef- before we started, because you're going to be looking at it, and I'm going to point it out as we go through but when we come to faith, it, it, this sanctification process is, is difficult. This is what John Bunyan wrote about conversion, about being saved. He said, conversion is not the smooth, easygoing process some men seem to think. It is a wounding work. Of course, this breaking of the heart. For without wounding, there is no saving. And then he uses the illustration about grafting in a branch to a, to a tree. Where there is grafting, there is cutting. The new branch must be let in with a wound to stick it onto the to stick it onto the outside or to tie it on with a string would be of no use. Heart must be set to heart, or there will be no sap from the root to the branch. And this, I say, will be done by a wound. I I, I don't know if you remember your salvation experience. But it was a wound to me. It was a humbling process. It was the conviction of the Spirit. And I remember, uh, I was telling somebody a couple of weeks ago that I was a good theologian before I was saved. Uh, and the generation I grew up in, and some of you grew up in, uh, we, were taught, we were taught Christianity in public school. 
And so I believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I believed in His deity. I believed He was coming again. I, I had no doubt the Bible was the Word of God. I, I was a good theologian. I knew all those things. I just didn't know Christ personally. I never repented and, and trusted Him. But one day the Holy Spirit convicted me, but, and I didn't, I didn't repent immediately. I didn't surrender to Him immediately. It was a process of months. Uh, that I argued with myself that I know that, I know, I know that, I know, I know those things, I've done those things. I was baptized in a vacation Bible school when I was about fourth grade or something like that, and so I thought that's good enough because church I got baptized in taught you that that's salvation. And so I justified myself for a long time, but the Holy Spirit gave me no peace. My wife can probably testify to that. The Holy Spirit gave me no peace and, and until one day... I humbled myself. See, that's the wound. We die to self. That, that's the wound. Is that I came to the realization I cannot do anything to, to deserve the grace of God. And again, I didn't know the Bible, but I, I understood that. I wouldn't have said it in exactly those words. But I couldn't do anything. And I come to the realization and I asked Christ to forgive me and save me. Okay, that's my part, but it was difficult, and probably yours is difficult as well in, in this process. And then I threw this in. John Bunyan wrote in a different book about growing in Christ-likeness. He said, he that comes to Christ can, cannot always get on as fast as he would. I think this applies to the Corinthians, and applies to me, and applies to you. You cannot get on as fast as he would. Now, remember, he's using 17th century vocabulary. He said, Thou art like the man who would ride full gallop when his horse will hardly trot. Now, the desire of his mind is, is, now the desire of his mind is not to be judged by the slow pace of the dull jade he rides on, but by the hitching and kicking and spurring as he sits on its back. The flesh is like this dull jade, the jade's the horse, it will not gallop after Christ. It will be backward, though thy soul in heaven are at stake. I can testify to that as well. Not only is salvation a wound and you die to self, but um, growing in grace is, a, is, a, is difficult. It, the surrender of your daily life and your person and your independence is difficult and and. Becoming more like Christ in your behavior, your attitudes, your responses to life is, is difficult. It is like uh, we, we want to be there. I want to be spiritual. I want to be without the curse of sin. I, I want to be a person who, who never gets aggravated. I want to be a person who never is resentful or proud or jealous or envious. Uh, I, I want to be that person. And, but my horse doesn't want to go. You understand? Doesn't want to gallop. So, um, and you thought, I, I thought surely when I got saved those early years, by the time I'd been a Christian 50 years, that I would have it made. And it's just as hard today as it is then. It's still a dying to self daily is what the Bible teaches. Okay, now we're going to see these things in, in chapter 2. You remember chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 1, Paul said to the, to the people of Corinth that he's writing to, you're struggling because basically you're proud. You're, you're struggling and you're not surrendering yourself and you're uh, 
divided into fractions, so you're being proud of who you identify with. And, and so he was saying, that, but the foolishness of God is the gospel. And it's foolish to the world, but to, to you who believe it's the power of God and the salvation, is what it says in Romans. And now he's going to continue that in what we've divided into chapter 2. Now read with me, uh, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words or human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Some of the commentators say, you know, if you remember, Paul had just been in Athens. And if you're reading the book of Acts, and our pastor has been going through it, but if you read the book of Acts, he, in Athens, he reasoned with the Athenians, and he, he quoted, he, he showed his education, he, he quoted their own prophets, their own poets, I should say, uh, and to them, and he reasoned with them um, from, from the world standpoint, in a sense, um, he reasoned with them about the statue they had to the unknown God, and, and so now he's, and, and, and when you look at the historical record in Acts, there were only a very few converts. There's no record of a church being established. So now Paul has come to Corinth, and he, he's saying that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use the wisdom of men, or I'm not going to use my education or the rhetoric that I know. I'm not going to use that. I am going to just preach the gospel. I'm going to tell people about Christ. And the power of the, is going to be in the gospel and not in human wisdom. You know, it's really interesting, but if, if today you were in seminary, uh, you were in a Baptist seminary, they would be teaching you to use stories, uh, use emotion, make your audience cry, make them laugh, uh, get them involved with you. That's why you hear most sermons today start with an illustration. Uh, if you think about it, it doesn't start with the Word of God, but starts with an illustration because they're taught to capture your attention in the first 30 seconds. And Paul is saying, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to... I, I, remember, I remember talking to a preacher one day and he was doing a series on something. I don't remember what he said, but I remember what he told me that even on their stage, they had it like a jungle, and they had a jeep up there, and he preached in safari pants, and, and so he's capturing their attention. And here Paul is saying, it is the gospel or nothing. It is, you know, the gospel is the power of God. Uh, 300 years ago, Spurgeon said that whatever, whatever means you use to win them, that's exactly what you want them to. And if you're, if you're one to an exciting service, then that's, that's what you're one to. That's what you're getting. But if you're one to the gospel, you're getting Christ. And I, I happen to agree with that. You can call that old-fashioned if you want to, but uh, I happen to agree with that. And by the way, it is old-fashioned. But it's still just as relevant and new today as it ever was. When, when we read this, 
Paul saying, I, I determined not to, anything to, verse 2, number 2, I, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear. Now that's not how we, that's not how we picture Paul. We don't picture Paul in weakness and fear. But, but he was saying, I realize there's nothing within me. I am even fearful. And Paul might have been physically fearful because it seemed like everywhere he went, he got beat up. And in a little bit in this letter, um, or, or the book of Acts in chapter 18, not long after he got to Corinth, the, whole, the, the Lord came to him in a vision by night and said to him, Paul, don't be afraid. Uh, I want you to speak. I have many people in this city. Now, what do you mean by that? Election. God had elected some people in that city to be saved, and he's telling Paul, don't be afraid. So <clears throat> you can assume from that, I can, that uh, Paul was maybe a little apprehensive. I mean, every, every time you open your mouth and speak the gospel, you end up in jail or you end up in the hospital. Uh, you're, you're thinking, okay, maybe I need to be a little more careful about what I say and who I say it to. <clears throat> but the Lord's telling him, don't be concerned about that. <clears throat> And then in verse 5, I think this is very important, uh, in verse 4, to back up what I said, he said, my preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I'm not going to try to convince you with a human argument. So here's what he is, is, is saying to them. Um, this is how you're to live. You remember they were bickering, uh, they're carnal, he's going to call them carnal. They're, they're not maturing in Christ, uh, they're, they're, they're not putting forth, I guess, enough effort to believe the Word of God and to put their trust in the Word of God. And, and so he's, he's using the truths of God to give them a foundation and give them a stability that they have not had. Now in verse 6, he talks about the difference between human wisdom and the wisdom of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Mature, the word mature is not the way we use it, but it's complete. Those who are complete. Those who, those who are in Christ is what he's speaking of. We, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age of this world, nor the rulers of this world, age, who are coming to nothing. We speak the, we speak the wisdom of God and a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So God ordained this mystery. So what is a mystery? The, the, in the New Testament especially when Paul uses the word, it means it's something that has not yet been revealed. It's not something that can't be known. I read mysteries in fiction books, but it's not, it's not that. It's not who did it, but it's something that hasn't been yet revealed. And what had not yet been revealed uh, in ages past, and it, it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Who could ever imagine that in the wisdom of God, he himself in the flesh would come and offer himself to be mocked, to be, be persecuted, to be made fun of, to be spit on, to be tortured, and then to die. See, that is a mystery, and it, the world didn't know that. 
when, when you're reading, if you read over in Peter, and I didn't put it in the notes, but you read over Peter, and, and Peter said those prophets in, in the Old Testament, they were, they were preaching about things they didn't understand. But they were looking forward to the fulfillment one day, even though they didn't understand. Now, what were they preaching? They were preaching Christ. They were prophesying Christ. There's going to become, God's going, God's going to provide himself a savior. And God does provide himself a savior, and he provides it as himself. So we speak wisdom among those who are mature, and the rulers of the world did not know it. And we could look at the rulers of the world as people, uh, Herod, uh, Pilate, uh, the, the Sanhedrin, they didn't know it. Or you could think about behind those rulers are the demonic powers, and they did not know it either. <clears throat> but, but then he said in verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's really interesting. That's the only time, that I think, that the, the Lord Christ is called the Lord of glory. What a, what a tremendous title. He is the Lord of glory. Of all the glory of God, it's in Christ. In verse, read with me in verse 9 down through verse 12. <clears throat> but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We use that about heaven. And the application could very well be heaven. We, we're going to be amazed one day when we go to heaven about what God has prepared for us. But that's not what Isaiah was talking about, and that's not what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is salvation. We have no comprehension. The human mind cannot comprehend the, 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 the things which God has prepared in salvation. Who, who could ever imagine that the God who's the creator would himself die, that you and I could be freely forgiven, and that we could be accepted into his presence? With, with no recrimination, no, no owing anything because he just grace. Who could ever imagine that? I don't treat people in my world that way, and you probably don't treat people in your world that way. Uh, but God did. He treated us that way. No one can imagine that. I can't imagine it. You hear it. Human wisdom can't get there. And then he said in verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, here's where we're getting to this. No one knows the things of God except by the spirit of God. No one is saved except by the Spirit of God. No one understands the Word of God except by the Spirit of God. Now, Satan knows the Word. Uh, I knew a little bit of the Word before I was saved, but I didn't have an understanding that it spoke about the glory of Christ and salvation. I had an understanding that God ruled, but that see, that's not glorious. I didn't like that. I, I didn't give him glory for that. I resented it. So here, when he's saying, in <clears throat> verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. 
when, when we have any measure of understanding of the word of God, it is because the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. It, it is the Holy Spirit working through the word of God to teach us the things of God. And that happens when we are regenerated. That happens and regeneration is when the Holy Spirit comes within me. Think about in John, John 3, Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. You're familiar with that. And he says to him, you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, what is, what is, and Nicodemus is thinking physical, but Jesus says to them, no, you're born of the Spirit. I'm going to paraphrase. You're born of the Spirit. You're, you're born of that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is Spirit is Spirit. So you have to be born of the Spirit before you're going to understand. That's regeneration. As God regenerates uh, the Holy Spirit within us, we're born again. That's a good term. We're born again by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, we understand, resides in us and seals us until the day of redemption. And so it is the Spirit's work. And, and now the Spirit within me helps my faith. The Spirit gives me faith, the gift of faith. And faith is that I believe. I believe the Word of God. And the Spirit helps me as I read it to say, He's talking about me. He's talking about my sin. He's talking about my uh, independence of God. He's talking about my self-sufficiency. He's talking about, and all the things I named earlier, my pride and selfishness and lust. He's talking about all that. He's talking about me, and I want to repent of that. See, that's the Holy Spirit at work in us. That's the Holy Spirit through the Word of God at work in us. These things have been freely given to us by God. We don't come to it on our own. We don't come to it of our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own volition. It is the Spirit of God. Now, go down to verse 13. And here I think it's important. The gospel is given by words, by words. It it is not just, the the Spirit's not floating around and you have this feeling, uh, this, uh, you know, wonderful feeling and, and you know God because you have this feeling. Verse 13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, the Holy Spirit teaching. How does he do that? Through all the Old Testament, uh, those men were led by God and wrote down the word of God. You come to the New Testament, you have the same thing. And you're comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Every now and then I use, I use an example out of my past to teach you something, but I try to use the Bible to illustrate truth because it's spiritual things explaining spiritual things. When you're, when you're looking into the New Testament, nearly every principle that you find can be illustrated from the Old Testament or from the life of Christ and, and his dealing with people. We really don't have to use ourselves as that, as that illustration. In fact, it's probably not, not even good to use ourselves. So the word, the word is God's word, and it comes through the Holy Spirit, and it comes into our mind and in our heart through the Holy Spirit. John says, you know, that salvation doesn't come by your birth or your training. It doesn't come by your family. It doesn't come by heritage. It doesn't come by any of those things, but it comes by 
the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get we're going to get to this part, the difference between these two, very clearly here in verse fourteen. So read with me, verse fourteen through sixteen. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There was a philosopher named Celsus who wrote this in 178 AD. Let no cultured person draw near, none wise and none sensible, But if any man is ignorant, wanting, lacking, and sense and culture, if he's a fool, let him come boldly to become a Christian. They're the worst, the vulgarest, the most uneducated people. That's really interesting, isn't it? (laughs) And the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. It's what we read in chapter 1, if you remember back. Um, Go back to verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man means a person without Christ. It means a person who is in their living in their own reasoning and their own ability to understand the world, their own ability to evaluate what's good and evil, what's right and wrong. Um, you know, it's really interesting to me. We're, the, we're, we're watching a war going on. You're very aware of it. I'm not going to give you details. You're very aware of it. What's interesting is that there are so many people in the U.S. and around the world who believe it's immoral. And they're the same people who are saying there is no morality. Your morality is whatever you choose. You are a free person to do as you, as you please. Well, if that's true, per, Putin... Putin is free to do as he pleases, and he has the power to do it. Limited power, but he, but he has the power to do what he's done so far. But see, the world looks at that as evil, doesn't it? But they, they deny the, the concept of evil that comes from God. So they, they believe they are the arbitrator of what is evil and what is good. And their neighbor can have a different arbitration of what is evil and what is good. And they don't realize that only God, see, the natural man can't grasp the fact that the concept of good and evil can only come from a moral God who created and who established the bounds of morality. See, really, their, their life is not logical. Their thinking is, and I'm not talking about every person, because there are Christians in Russia, there are Christians in Ukraine, there are Christians in the United States. So I'm not talking about every person. I'm talking about the world in general. I'm talking about the, the average person who's a natural person without Christ. It's really interesting uh, to me. Uh, it's, it's scary. It's scary because their, their needle on morality keeps shifting. You understand what I mean? It keeps going down. And uh, even though they still have a standard, the standard gets less and less all the time. And it's going to be a terrible thing for our grandchildren to have to live through and to be uh, part, part of it. So 
when we read this again, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness in him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. We only have faith in the Word of God because it's spiritually discerned, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and, and reveals truth to us. And that truth is revealed to us if we, to use Bunyan uh, illustration, if we gird our horse and kick our horse and spur our horse, if we decide that we want to know truth and we work at it, study to show yourself approved. A workman needs not be ashamed. We're, we're responsible to learn of God and to learn of this mystery of Christ. Uh, that 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 it is God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Salvation is not primarily about me or you; it's about the glory of God. It, it is about the righteousness and justice and holiness of God. And uh, we we even we who are Christians, our default position is to make it about ourselves. I'm blessed because I'm saved. Well, it is true, but, but that is a derived blessing because God glorified himself in sending his son. And remember Jesus in his prayer in John 17 said that I, I, I want to have the glory I had with you before the world. I'm, I'm going to glorify you, therefore glorify me. And then because we're in Christ, one day we're going to be glorified. And, and see, if that becomes our focal point, if the, if the gospel is more about God than it is about us, we have a balance in our life that we cannot have otherwise. We're going to go through the trials of life, whether they be physical or emotional or a war or, 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 or whatever they may be. We're going to go through the trials of life in a much more balanced way. I'm not saying we won't suffer. I'm not saying we won't be frightened like Paul. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying that we have a foundation that will never be shaken. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I want to convey it to you. I have such struggle to live it myself. I, I feel guilty teaching it. I want to convey it to you. The salvation is about the glory of God. We are the recipients of that. It's not about us. And, and when, you, when you change your thinking on that, you read the Bible differently. You, you glorify Christ and instead of thinking how lucky he is that I chose him. How lucky he is that I chose him. See, that, that plays out some way in that we think if some celebrities were to get saved and some famous people were to get saved, that the Lord would really be manifest to the world. We think that, don't we? You know, because they have a platform. They have a platform. But God just told us in chapter 1, he uses the foolish things. He uses the weak things of the world. Now, that doesn't mean an intellectual person can't get saved. It doesn't mean a celebrity can't get saved. It doesn't mean, and some of them do, it doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is God doesn't need them. God doesn't need them. He has a plan. He's fulfilling his plan. He has, he has elected a certain amount of people throughout time, and when, when that last person comes in to faith, is regenerated, it's over. 
And, and, and it's God's work. Salvation is of the Lord. I'm just preaching to you now, but I want you to understand. Change your thinking. Make your thinking conform to what's here in the word of God. Let me end with verse 16 again. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It, it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We, we have been given this great privilege. We've been given this great um, blessing. And it's the Holy Spirit within us who, who, who seals us for salvation, helps us know about the Lord, helps us grasp the depth of what Christ did and the, the depth of what it means to us and the hope we have in spite of what the world's doing, the hope we have of eternity and, and that God be glorified in eternity. And, you know, I don't want to quit, but, you know, I, 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 but what, that, that's the problem with preachers. They never want to quit. But, here, but here, here's the thing, is that I, I, I pray about the war. I pray, and I hope you do as well. I pray, and Donna and I contribute. And so I hope you understand that what happens is that we have this idea if the right thing were to happen, the right words to be said, the right agreement struck, that, that everything's going to be just fine. And the Bible teaches us just the opposite. I'm not talking about specifically about that war, but it teaches us just the opposite. It teaches that this, this world is never going to be regenerated. This world is not going to, because they don't have the mind of God. They, they can't have the mind of God. And, and, and they don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, People within it do, but the world itself is, is, is headed for a crash landing. And that's when Christ comes again and brings judgment upon the world. And so that's what we need to remember and not be too frustrated when we see the world going south. Okay, pray with me and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Let us exalt him in our own personal life. Let us exalt him as a church. Uh, Father, let us recognize that our salvation uh, originated in you. And Lord, you have uh, given it to us eternally. You're, you're never going to let us go. You have us in, the, in your hand and no man can pluck us out of your hand. And, and Father, Help us, uh, Lord, to discipline the body and the mind and to uh, exalt you in our thoughts, uh, our behaviors, our desires, our reactions to the world, even all the little little things, the big things. Uh, Lord, let us just be people who um, have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us because of who we are in Christ. And we need your help to do that by your spirit and through your word. And we ask for it this morning, in Christ's name, amen. God bless you. We will see you in church.